John chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. Thank you, Mike. And we come to the conclusion of our study through this marvelous book. Wes, if you would get that video clip ready for me. We come to this uh, crescendo, finally, where John says... Well, in your text, it's only four or five times, but the clauses are related to the verb, we know. We know, we know, we know, we know, we know with confidence. Listen to this text. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born, who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And I left off the last phrase of the whole book, my mistake. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Confident. You run this video clip from one of my favorite contemporary poets. Like you know what you're talking about? Or believe strongly in what you're, like, saying? <laughs> Invisible question marks and parenthetical you knows and you know what I'm saying? I've been attaching themselves to the ends of our sentences, even when those sentences aren't, like, questions. <laughs> Declarative sentences, so-called because they used to, like, you know, declare things to be true, okay? As opposed to other things that are, like, totally, you know, not. <laughs> They've been infected by this tragically cool and totally hip interrogative tone. As if I'm saying, don't think I'm a nerd just because I've like noticed this, okay? I have nothing personally invested in my own opinions. I'm just like inviting you to join me on the bandwagon of my own uncertainty. <laughs> What has happened to our conviction? Where are the limbs out on which we once walked? Have they been like chopped down with the rest of the rainforest? You know? Or do we have like nothing to say? Has society just become so filled with these conflicting feelings of music? And we've just gotten to the point where we're the most aggressively inarticulate generation to come along since, you know, a long time ago. So I implore you, I entreat you, and I challenge you to speak with conviction. 
to say what you believe in a manner that bespeaks the determination with which you believe it. Because contrary to the wisdom of the bumper sticker, it is not enough these days to simply question authority. You gotta speak with it, too. Christian confidence is not about arrogance, it's about confidence. Christian conviction is not about mere opinion. It's about knowing him who is true, the God who cannot lie. And speaking with love, you speak the truth, what you know. And you be faithful to what you know. You might say, I don't know much. But what I do know, remember the man who was born blind and Jesus gave him his sight and then the Pharisees jumped all over him and, and, and criticized him and challenged him and finally they said, wasn't Jesus a sinner? And the guy, he didn't know much. He says, whether he was a sinner or not, I don't know, but this I do know. I was blind and now I see. And then he said to them, do you want to become his disciples too? What a model us he is. John ends this, uh, this beautiful little letter with confidence in what we know. As Francis Bacon said, knowledge is power. Oh sure, you can have knowledge and not use it, but if you're a doctor, you better have knowledge about your field. If you're a lawyer, you better have knowledge about your field for your clients. If you're a scientist, you, before you start mixing those chemicals together, you better know what sort of reaction you expect from them. Knowledge is power. And when Francis Bacon said knowledge is power, he was really talking about knowledge of God is power. The world has forgotten that. What do you know? What do you know? first point this morning that John lays out for us is that you are free from the power of sin. The second point is that you should know your identity as children of God. And the third point is you must know that the promises of idols are false. Let's look at these together. Point number one, know that you are free from the power of sin. Because anyone born of God does not continue to sin, the Bible says. Now, of course, he is not saying that the Christian never sins. Otherwise, he'd be con contradicting himself back in chapter 1, right? Where he says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. But if you're a Christian, he's saying that when you do sin, the Holy Spirit is merciful to you and he convicts you. He disrupts, he disturbs you. And it becomes like ashes in your mouth, like hair between your teeth, like gravel under your tongue. And you don't like it. This week, uh, you know, I changed the sign out front of the church, and uh, you know, the power was all out, and so I, you know, I said, plug into a higher power. Uh, you know, I put that sign up. But while I was changing the sign, I left the front door open, and this bird flew into the office. And this poor little bird trying to get out, bam, into this window, trying to get out, bam, into this window. And I was really busy. I had a lot going on, but my heart was sympathetic for this little bird, and I keep the front door open. I'm trying to chase this bird out. 
and, and this bird would not have it. And I, got, I got whatever I could find, this little butterfly wheelie thing that Roz puts out around the church, and I'm trying to chase this bird with, uh, trying to get this bird out, and the bird will not cooperate. And I got angry at the bird. I told you I was compassionate for the bird for about this long. And now I'm angry. And now I'm saying words I ought not say. I felt justified. And the Holy Spirit said, John, you should not continue in this. This is not... I blessed you with isolation right now, but suppose your people were here listening to you talk to this bird. God worked in a simple, small way, a conviction of my sin in me, and I repented, thinking that that I I shouldn't be disturbed by this little bird. Who was I? God providentially brought this bird into my world, and I'm I'm at his disposal. God, you're in charge, not me. Forgive me, Lord. Christian does not continue to sin. Now, notice that he doesn't say that we have the power in and of ourselves to overcome sin. It's, it's, it's difficult in the Greek language, but what he's teaching is that the one who was born of God, here are the references to Jesus, keeps him, the child of God, safe. And the evil one cannot harm him. The keeping power against sin is not something that you cleverly work up in and of yourself. The keeping power belongs to Jesus. And I love this because we teach here that we are saved by his marvelous grace, but this passage also teaches us that we are kept by his marvelous grace. That Jesus Christ is at work in you because he lives in you, and he is the one who will keep you to the end. And this is good news. (laughs) Isn't this good news? You don't keep yourself. Here, this text says, he keeps you. That Jesus Christ is stronger than the devil. He's tougher than the evil one. And he will not let that evil one destroy you. He will keep you. That's good news, isn't it? So you're saved by his grace. You're kept by his grace. But John says you need to know this. And you need to to talk to yourself about this. Now, how how do I explain this talk to yourself about this? Because apparently John is really coaching us here in this passage. Well, I love baseball. I love to play baseball. I was always fairly mediocre, but I love to play baseball. Nothing like going to the batting cages and and hitting baseballs, but there's only one position as far as I'm concerned. There's only one position to play in baseball. All the others are dull and boring to me. One position, and I always played catcher. Why would I love the position of catcher? Because you're in on every pitch. Yeah, that's one reason. But you know why I love to be catcher? Because catchers get to talk. (laughs) And catchers talk to everybody. Catchers talk to the batter when he comes in, the opponents. And he comes in and says, batter can't hit, batter can't hit. And the catcher talks to the pitcher. Fired in here, fired in. He talks to his teammates. Little chatter in the outfield, more chatter in the outfield. Let's talk to ourselves, encourage ourselves. These guys are nothing. Let's go. And he's in control. 
You know, he's always talking. We, we need to do this. It was a good fit for me, don't you think? Yeah, I know what you're thinking. But listen, Monday morning begins, and the cultural expectation is Miller time is over, the weekend is lost, and oh, and your boss is on your case, and your employees aren't performing to the standard you need. And the bills, the bills are more than the income. And, and a complaint is coming on. It's nothing specific. It's not like you're tempted to rob a bank or to run off and, and, and have an affair. But, but, but complaining is a sin, and there is this general Monday attitude of complaining, and it settles in your heart. And right at that point, catcher, sees the, the temptation in the batter's box. He says, batter can't hit, batter can't hit. I know the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice. And I'll be glad in it. One out. Two minutes later, you do start thinking about those bills. And there's not enough income to meet the outflow right now. And all of a sudden you start to worry. And you're not about to rob a bank. You're not going to run off and have an affair right now. But, but, but you are starting to say, my God is not going to be faithful to me. You're going to start to fret and worry and obsess. Right at that point, right at that point, what does the catcher say? The catcher's talking behind the plate. And here's this new temptation that stepped into the batter's box. And you're going to say to yourself, and my God... My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You say, you emphasize, my God. I'm trusting his promise for me. Two outs. And so you set out on your day, and you've got your list of all that needs to be accomplished, and the phone rings, and someone has a task for you to do that causes your to-do list to sprout wings and fly out the window, and you can't believe it. And this interruption comes to you like the bird flying in to the church office, and you have, you have one second between when they finished saying, I need you to drive me to the doctor, and you respond, and, and and you have one second or so to say to your soul, like the catcher behind the plate, speaking to the batter, one second to say, God, you are God. You're the God of all contingencies. You're sovereign. And I am your servant at your disposal, Lord. Okay, Lord, the game plan seems to have changed from my game plan to your game plan. And, you know, Jeremiah, he used to always say, You know, Lord. You know, Lord. Three out. See, we have to, we have to talk to ourselves what is, about what is true. Oh, sure, preacher. That's true for those little sins, although we might wonder whether complaining and worrying are really little sins or not, or whether they are cosmic treason as well. But what if you do struggle with drug addiction? What if you do struggle with sexual addiction? What if you do struggle? Uh, well, on the back of your sermon outline, I've listed a number of 
Christian organizations and even secular organizations that have lots of Christians in them. And you know what they teach you to do? They teach you to talk to yourself with accountability and with personal support. And if you struggle with alcohol issues, there are Christian people in Alcoholics Anonymous who will help you through that. If you struggle with sexual addiction, there are Christian people in Pure Life Ministries, Harvest USA. But what they teach is the same thing we just rehearsed. What they teach you to do is to be who you are in Christ and to talk, speak to your heart of hearts the gospel and the truth of God that you may repent and step forward in faith. Whoever you are, the elders of this church are committed to helping you walk. What do you do with your shame? Christina Rossetti, she told us, we, we have guilt, we have shame. We learn how to take it to Jesus and how to be made new. Well, that leads on to something deeper in verses 19 and 20, the second point, to know your identity as children of God. We know, he says, verse 19, that we are children of God and that the whole world is under control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And something really fascinating and ironic is going on here because... As we've studied in the book of 1 John, John is fighting for the soul of the ancient church. And who is, who is robbing that soul? It's a group of people called the Gnostics. And they were the people, remember, who said, you don't need this blood atonement. God would never have his son die on a horrible cross. What you need is secret knowledge from the revealers like us. And what John is saying here at the very end, he says, you want knowledge? I'll give you knowledge. You want insight? I'll give you insight. The Christian life does have knowledge, and it does have insight. And like a machine gun, he shoots it out. What do you know? You know him. It's all about knowing him. It's about a relationship. But you know him who is true. You know your identity as children of God. You know that there's a conflict between Christians and the world. And you should not be surprised. <laughs> My wife gently observes that I get agitated by the way non-Christians sometimes act. I get, I get annoyed. And she says, you know, John, why do you expect non-Christians to act like Christians? She says, you know what you really should expect uh, is that they wouldn't act like Christians and you should have more compassion on them. You should really be compassionate because they're blind. They can't see. They don't have any impulse to live for the glory of God. They don't care at all about the glory of God. You should have, you should have compassion. And Warren Christie's always saying that to me too. People in this church, thank you for counseling your pastor because he needs it. Instead, he says, you need to know that you are in him. And so, what do you need to remember? You need to remember who you are. You are children of God. And you need to remember whose you are. That you are in him. And this, this ultimately is the secret of the Christian life, isn't it? 
to know who you are. I am a child of God. You see, you need to learn to say to yourself, this is the catcher talking behind the plate, I am not an orphan. You need to say, I am not a slave. Galatians 4 teaches us, you know, we're no longer slaves, but sons. And since we are sons, God has made us also heirs with the Father. I'm not a slave. Instead, you learn to say, I am a child of God, adopted into his family. Okay? Can you say these things? Will you say these things? John says, you need to know. We know these things. When we forget this, do you know what we do? We have all these default mechanisms. And when we forget our identity in Christ, what we largely do is we shrink the cross. That's why I put this little sheet inside your bulletin, this little flyer. You see, because there's something lacking in me sometimes that does not appreciate my what the theologians call union with Christ, that I am connected to Jesus, that I am his and he is mine, that he's taken up residence inside me. And I forget this. So over the timeline, and I have this little, you can either look on the screen or you can look on your bulletin, but you know, you become a Christian. Here's your point of conversion. And oh, here's your growing awareness of God's holiness moving up. Here's growing awareness of my flesh and my sinfulness as God reveals it to me, and oh, I am so glad that the cross is the bridge. The cross fills the gap. That's good news, isn't it? You remember your early days as a believer and your sweet taste of grace. But then life goes on, and, and over time, sometimes it seems like, yeah, your sense of God's holiness may increase and your sense of your sinfulness may increase, but your appreciation of the cross somehow stays the same or even shrinks. And you have two default mechanisms. In my pastoral experience, 27 years, what are these mechanisms that we do? We do one of two things. We either perform or we pretend. I don't know which way you tend to go. But pretending is minimizing my sin, making myself out to be better than I'm not. See, I didn't need to tell you that I was swearing at that bird. And most of you have never heard me utter a swear word. You think I had perfect control of my tongue. But I don't. And so, as long as you think I'm better than I am, I'm quite happy with that. Thank you. And I will congratulate myself for being a fine Christian man. And what I'm doing is I'm pretending that I'm not as sinful as I really am. Instead, I need the cross to cover all my sin. But other times, I can congratulate myself. I'm a Christian. I'm actually a professional type of a Christian. So that must mean I'm holy. That must mean God loves me because... I teach Sunday school. God loves me because I'm a deacon in the church. God loves me because I help lead worship. And friends, that is not why God loves you. 
You lead worship because God loves you. You teach Sunday school because God loves you. But if you get that backwards, if you get that upside down, what you've started to do is you've started performing. And you've gotten really good at religion. As though that somehow pleases God. What pleases God? Well, you turn this little sheet over, and this is, those of you who go through the membership orientation class, it's kind of smudged, but, but um, this is the, uh, the, di- the diagram that's in your membership orientation uh, materials. And again, you can see this middle section here. We call it faking it, where you have a wedge up here or a wedge down here. Down here, I'm really not that big of a sinner. Up here, my sin is really no big deal to God. He's not that holy. Instead, what John has taught us, so important as you speak and preach to yourself, I am loved, I am accepted, I am forgiven, I am righteous, I am delighted in by God, and my true identity is in Christ. And my friend who drew this picture says, puts in the lightning bolt, that's where you find spiritual power. Our souls must be deeply rooted in the truth of the gospel given in 1 John so that we anchor our righteousness, we anchor our identity in Jesus, not in ourselves. We receive his propitiation for our sins, and he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. We are adopted as children of God, and this becomes central to our thinking. Well, third point We know that the promises of idols are false. And there's this abrupt ending to our study in the book of 1 John. At the end of the passage, he says in verse 21, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And somebody might say, well, that's really not very smooth writing. Why why would he bring this up right after he's talked about knowing your identity in Jesus? And if you think about it, maybe you will understand. What is an idol? An idol is something that promises you blessing, that says, I'm offering you life, but it's not reality. It's a lie that they can't deliver. I was talking with one of the senior high students in our church, and and he... uh, He said to me, there are all these promises out there as I'm getting ready to step out into the world. We talk, what what are they? He said, you know what they are. It's the promise of money. It's the promise that if I have lots and lots of money, I will be happy, happy, happy. Everyone will like me. That's life. And he said, there's the promise of pleasure. And if I have lots and loads of pleasure, that's all I need. And if, if I become famous, and if I'm in the, in the, in the news, I'm on MTV one day, and the, and the people applaud me, he said, then my life has significance and I will have life. And we talked. And we talked about how many rich people there are who are miserable. 
And we talked about how many playboys out there are lonely. And we talked about, well, we talked about Amy Winehouse, and we talked about others who had recently died. Rich, famous, lives given to pleasure, but broken and lost. You see, these are idols. And John says, dear children, don't give yourself to what can't deliver. Give yourselves to him. So 1 John wraps up, and we come to the end of this book, and the message at the end is the same message we had at the beginning. Jesus saves you by his grace. Jesus keeps you by his grace. And we know, we know, we know that this is true. Are there idols in your life? Maybe some that I've mentioned, maybe others that you know in the secret place of your own heart. Well, I'm going to invite us right now to, to bow our heads, close our eyes, and pray. Offer these things to the Lord. And then I'm going to invite us to say, we know. We know him who is true. And we long for more and more and more of him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we know that you are true. And I, I thank you that though all, all people are liars, you, you cannot lie. And you are the truth. And John remembered when he walked this earth. He heard you say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our Father, I want to confess that my heart, like what John Calvin said... Our hearts are idol-making factories. You know, like that I Love Lucy episode where the chocolates kept coming out and coming out and coming out. She couldn't box them fast enough. The idols come out, come out, come out. Money or sex or power or fame or comfort, pleasures or food or drink, uh, the perfect family. Lord, the, the great idol, the great idol of our culture for sure has got to be I need a perfect family. But whatever they are, Lord, uh, and some things are good, it's just that they replace you. And so we take the sledgehammer right now to the idol. Jesus, if you're going to keep us from sin, the idol needs to be smashed. It needs to be broken. And in your own heart of hearts, just picture yourself a silly stone idol that really can't deliver. You say, I'm going to smash it. I'm going to let it go. Boom. And you are my portion. Everything else will fall in its place. Oh, Lord, we love you. We exalt you. There is no one like you. Many pretenders... But we are in him who is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. You are ours, and we are yours, and we worship you. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing this song. We love to sing. Lift up your voices, and let's raise the roof.